Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are going to be using the green book a little later, so just have it handy. I'll, I'll prompt you. I'm going to be sharing my spiritual journey. This is my first ever JFO talk. Um, I'm going to be speaking on my spiritual journey, stillness, and knowing. As some of you may know, I uh, do get on stage in, with a microphone pretty often, but in the form of stand-up comedy. And uh, normally when I get on stage, I tell a joke in the first 20 seconds, but um, at JFO we use silence. That's kind of the currency, I think. Uh, also, normally, if someone goes before you and touches on similar material to you, you are frantically trying to think of different jokes to tell, uh, and you're rewriting your set quickly, but here you're pretty excited when that happens, so it's a nice little contrast. So tonight, or t this morning, uh, instead of pausing for laughs, I'm going to try to pause for silence. Be still and know that I am God. This is much better. <laughs> it's, it's also nice because you don't get a podium, you don't get to look at your notes. This is way, this is very different. Um, if you get a chance this week, I highly recommend coming into this room in the middle of the night um, because the charge and energy of all the people is here even when we aren't. And it's really a pretty amazing, palpable feeling. Uh, you know, generations of our Winnie family have imprinted themselves here and are just beyond our physical perception. We can, we have a spiritual perception that we can sense them here. And not just in this room, but all over the campus. Um, and it's, it's, it's powerful. This place, GPC, holds a charge really well. It's like a big wooded battery, I think. Uh, and I think it generates its own energy as well. You can feel it in the cabins, in the chapel in the field. The lake generates a lot of energy as well. Um, and we have imprinted ourselves on this place and, you know, unknowable ways that, that we can still feel, maybe we can't describe them. Having not grown up in any church, uh, Winnie is my spiritual home. Uh, I learned how to be a human being here and I continue to learn and that's thanks to you, my family. By spirit, by love, and by blood too. I would be remiss not to mention. You are all a part of my family and I love every single one of you. Uh, when I was a kid and I couldn't sleep, instead of counting sheep, I would walk myself through the camp day as a form of meditation. I'd usually get through about three days, maybe two and a half. And it was just a comforting and loving embrace, even just to breathe in and out the camp day in my head. 
Be still and know that I am God. That's an order. And through meditation, we listen, even if meditating for 45 seconds. I think a lot of the meditation I engage in outside of camp is brief uh, and fleeting or sometimes oscillating in between, you know, more active thought and meditation. But uh, you can meditate for 10 seconds sometimes, and that's all thanks to you. I mean, you, you taught me how to do that. One of the great things I was awoken to in my spiritual upbringing here was finding God in unexpected and even mundane places. Ordered steps even when aimless. And that's my strength in the world. That's talk about Jesus, he's my rock, you know. Um, my mom made a magnet uh, that says gratitude is a magnet for good which is fun because it's a pun, but it's also really true. Gratitude is a magnet for good. That's a way of being even when you're feeling lost in a void, even in despair. Strangers bring me the peace of God on a daily basis, and I have you people to thank for that. And I should reiterate more clearly um, that I mean you corporally here now but I also mean all the generations of people that have been with us and been a part of our family. And I also mean all the people that have yet to come or aren't here and will be here in the future. Um, we're all a part of one continuous organism that we can't perceive because we're three-dimensional beings. I'm really glad Burns brought up dimensions because um, I had already prepared to speak on that topic. Um, we can't physically witness the fourth dimension, which would be time, but we know it and we can, you know, we, we perceive time linearly. We're now and the future is, that, is the future and the past was then, but, you know, if we could potentially perceive or even have the words, which I don't and not many people do have the words to describe what that organism is, we're all a part of it. Pause for silence. <laughs> uh, when I was living in New York City, um, my comedy mentor, Anthony Atamanik, uh told me once, he said, you always seem like you're on vacation. And I have you people to thank for that. Uh, that's a product of love and stillness and knowing. Be still and know that I am God. That's been a really important phrase to me. Um, the first part was a lot easier for me than the second part. Being still, they go hand in hand, but I'll get that into that in a second. Um, living in New York was hard. Um, it didn't suit me very well. I moved there to do comedy, and when I did what I had specifically set out to do, I had the choice of do I continue here and I remember asking my mentor what, you know, <laughs> he'd been doing it forever. Um, 
and he, actually right after I left, he got a show on Comedy Central. It got canceled, but um, he said, yeah, well, if you want to stay here 15 years and struggle through it, you can eventually do something with yourself. And I said, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Just because of New York, it tired me out. I am from Maine, as most of you know, the city, quote unquote, but um, still, you know, nature is very important to me. It's a recharging element to me. Uh, I lived in Harlem on 145th Street uh, and Lenox Avenue, which is kind of the heart of Harlem. And it was just cities, you know, big city buildings and parks in New York are not nature, I'm sorry. They're fine, they're nice parks, they're well designed. Olmsted did a good job, but uh, they're not nature. Um, and so when I was living in New York, I had a hard time getting up in the morning. I had a hard time with depression. And so I would sing Joel songs to myself as I walked to the subway and in my head on the subway. I mean, you could have sung out loud on the subway. No one would have batted an eye. <laughs> um, so one song I would sing a lot. And we're just going to do... I think we should do the first and the last verse of number uh, 26 in the green book. I think that's what it is. It's glory, glory, sing hallelujah. Yeah, it's 26. to the promised land. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah to my loving Lord. Glory, glory, sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah to my Lord and King. Thank you. Thanks, Dana. That is such an earworm, and it's the one that popped up to me the most often, I'd say, when I was living in New York and just needed a little slice of camp to keep me going in, in that time. Uh, be still and know that I am God. I could be still when I was young. Uh, I could be real loud, too, as most of you recall. Um, but... I could be still. I knew how to sit and be silent and and listen and maybe I wasn't I didn't know what to listen for or I didn't I knew how to be still. 
Let's say that. But knowing God wasn't an immediate gift for me. Time and experience and perception, which is something I want to talk about a lot today as well, time and experience and perception has taught me to know God with a little help from my friends. We won't sing that one. Um, I know. Perception is a concept I, I come back to a lot. Um, I wanted to talk about the book Flatland. I don't know if anybody is familiar. Teachers and, and folks are often familiar with it. I read it in a math class in college. Um, it's not that I was bad at math. I just didn't, uh, I didn't care about it. Um, I was much more into the humanities, so my math class, I had to take the prerequisite, you know, like one course, and it was called Introduction to Mathematical Thought. And it was awesome. Um, the lady, actually, the professor um, that taught the class actually died during the class. And um, it was really awesome to get to spend time with her. It was really sudden and unexpected because the last, like, two months, or maybe it was even just a month of the class, was taught by the head of the math department, who was like, oh, you guys. Like, <laughs> it was all the humanities kids. Um, we didn't care. But we talked about fractals, that was cool, you know. And I think fractals tie really heavily into nature, you know, fractals exist in nature really, you know, phi, the, the golden number, that kind of stuff. Um, I have to get used to that not meaning my, I have one minute left. <laughs> uh, Flatland is this book that we read in that class uh, it's a long, well, it's not a long book, but it's, there's a lot in the book, but what I want to talk about about the book uh, is the interplay of dimensions. Um, basically, to sum it up, the main character of Flatland is named A-square, and he is a two-dimensional being. Um, he, everything in his perceived universe is two-dimensional. Um, so there's different shapes that exist in this two-dimensional world and they have a whole method of recognizing each other based on the different corners and how long it takes for someone to turn. Okay, you're a, you know, you're a, a square, you're a triangle, that kind of stuff. Um, he witnesses uh, beings that exist in the first dimension, which is just a point. And these beings in, that are just a point have no concept of what it would be to be a two-dimensional being, to have a line as your body. Um, and eventually, the two-dimensional being uh, comes across a three-dimensional being, which he can't perceive as a three-dimensional being um, until he goes through a series of what's called the hero's journey. Um, because he doesn't have the tools to understand what, a th what living in the th third dimension would be, which is what we all exist in. And I think that has been a really helpful metaphor to me for understanding the unknowable. Like I said, we can't perceive the fourth dimension. We know it's there. And I had always struggled. I can't perceive God, but I can know that God is there. That's been a helpful metaphor to me. Um, God is beyond our perception. Listening, prayer, meditation, and stillness can allow us to grasp 
um, but maybe not hold. And that's something that we have to come to terms with as three-dimensional beings. So I haven't read the book in a long time, but I was kind of skimming through it, and it, it's, it's something I think about all the time. Just because we can't perceive something in a traditional sense of the word does not mean that we don't feel God's presence in our lives. And our relationships with God are individual. That's why we have speakers to begin with. We all have individual relationships, each and every one of us. And we come together and share with each other to strengthen and grow with each other and to say, well, this is what I'm perceiving here. And you say, well, I have some similarities and some differences, and that's great. That's the full rainbow, or at least a couple colors. I know God, I know God in accepting that God is unknowable. I know God in accepting that God is unknowable. We don't possess the vocabulary in our language to properly describe what we know, although I think through music we get pretty close. We get closer than the, the spoken word or the written word. Um, yeah, stillness, meditation, perceiving. These are the tools of advanced spiritual perception, knowing God. Um, I want to sing another Green Book song. It's number two one of these mornings. And I think, let's just sing the first and last again, but I want you to think about the lyrics to this song in that context of interdimensionality. Last verse. One of these mornings you're gonna rain. One of these mornings you're gonna rain. One of these mornings the joy of Jesus will fill us. One of these mornings. Rain with the glory, glory. Rain with the glory, glory. Rain with the glory. Yes, my Lord, you're gonna raise us up to do some kingdom living till heaven come down to Thank you. <laughs> I love this. I just, it, it, that, the line at the end, you're going to raise us up to do some kingdom living, which is what we're doing here this week, until heaven come down to join us one of these mornings. I just see that as heaven is a different place. And, you know, at some point, we can be joined in that dimension. I wish I had a different word for dimension, I, you know? Uh, yeah, it just strikes me. Um, 
we are so lucky to be raised up and do some kingdom living here. Uh, and like Jim, kingdom living comes to me most purely and readily in nature. Um, when I can commune with the woods and the waters, um, a breeze stirring the top branches of a tree always brings me into the love and peace of being here and being with God. That's just something that I always think about, especially when you're standing out doing rhythms and you kind of look over he towards here and there's the line of trees outside the meeting house. They're doing a little dance up there. That always, that's sort of my, one of my rocks that I think about. Um, getting out into nature uh, has always been a healing thing to me. I'm not a big camper. I'm not a big hiker, honestly, you know. We have Bradbury Mountain is pretty close to uh, where I live in Maine, and that's about enough for me, you know. I've done Katahdin once, and that was a lot. Uh, that's a really, that's a whole day. And your legs are killing you. It's really, it's going down. Where's Jim? I can't, oh, there, yeah. It's going down, man. That's, a, yeah. So that's why I don't care for it. That's why I wear these non-hiking shoes this week. No chance. I'll get down to the beach. That's about it. Um, let's do one, I'm going to do one more song from the Green Book. I think we should do it now. Uh, and it's in the context of getting into nature. It's When the Cares of the World, number eight in the Green Book. And let's just do, let's just do the first verse. I don't think I could put it better than that, what I'm trying to say. Um, but I do have a story for you, um, sort of to illustrate this point and maybe to entertain you a little bit. I've never given a JFO talk before, so you know, you, you try to figure it out. Um, I've listened to a fair amount though, actually, now that I think about it. Um, uh, so, this past spring, um, I went to, I've only, this is the first bachelor party I've ever attended, and thankfully it was not of any sort of stereotypical bachelor party nature. Um, uh, we went down to Georgia, uh, Gainesville is where we were staying, in the woods uh, on a river, um, and the big event of the weekend, it was just, well, like two and a half days, was on Saturday, our big full day, we were going to go whitewater rafting, which I had also never done before. Um, so 
I was talking to my buddy who was organizing it, and I said, you know, I don't really have any experience with whitewater rafting. I can swim, but, you know, I don't want anything too crazy. You know, this is supposed to be a vacation. We're going down to Georgia. It was in, kind of still cold up in Maine, so I was excited to be able to go swimming and spend some time outdoors. Um, and he said, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be Category 3, which is pretty tame. It's kind of in the middle. Um, it's not, you know, it's, I, you know, maybe teenagers could handle, I don't know about younger kids, I'm not a whitewater rafting expert, but um, he said, don't worry, category three. I'm like, okay. So we get down there, and Saturday comes, we get up at six in the morning, and I, he, he and I, Corbin, who or organized it, we made uh, breakfast sandwiches for everybody. We had about 15 people, no. Yeah, somewhere 12 to 15 people, something like that. Um, all mostly friends from college, some friends of my guy who I knew who was getting married from college. Some of his childhood friends were there, but I had met them before. So we all knew each other. And I kind of had my sort of closer friends who were all kind of like, hey, we don't, we've never been whitewater rafting either. This is totally not up our alley. Two of them were from New York City and never lived anywhere else. And they were like, this is going to be an adventure. Um, and so we get down to this, it's a, you know, really well run. They go out, um, they can only go out once a day for this particular trip because it's an eight-hour trip. Um, so you get there at seven in the morning, there's a training, you put on a wetsuit, and you get what's called a PFD, they used to call them life jackets, but I guess that's a misnomer. Um, so it's PFD, your personal flotation device. Um, you know, you, you can sue people over that stuff, so... Um, Anyways, they, uh, they give a speech, and most of the guides are, like, my age or younger, like, you know, early to mid-20s and maybe some 30s. Um, but there's this one guy, Taz, who's been doing this one particular river for 33 years, and, he, and we were one of the first, it was early in their season, we were, like, I think the second trip that they had done of the year. Um, but he knows this river like the back of his hand, and he was the one that gave our the talk in the beginning about here's what you do when this happens, you know, here's how to be prepared should calamity happen. Uh, and so he asked if anybody had any medical conditions, and I have type 1 diabetes, and so I said, yeah, and uh, he said, well, you got it handled? I said, yeah. Um, and I wasn't worried. You know, we had a lunch packed. The only thing that could possibly happen would be if I got a low blood sugar out there, but I was prepared, and it didn't happen, so thankfully. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, so I, I kind of figured, well, I don't know what I'm doing here, and my buddies, we all wanted to be in the same raft because none of us knew what we were doing. And some of the other people were like, gung-ho, you know, like, let's get out there. Like, I can't wait to go crazy. And we were like, I'm just going to get down the river. Like, I'm going <laughs> to just going to follow the way it goes. Um, so we all, I was like, let me get into Taz's raft. He seems like the guy to go for. Um, and they all had funny names. One of the guys' names was, well, they all have like river names. Uh, and because Taz wasn't his real name, he wouldn't tell me what his real name was. And I asked him if he was named after the Tasmanian devil. And he said, I've been called Taz since long before that cartoon. <laughs> was, wow. One of the other guys' names was Squid. Um, I didn't want to be in Squid's Raft, but um, anyway, we get down there, um, you get in a big school bus, there's the giant yellow rafts. I've got pictures, so let's, 
we'll start with the first slide. We get down uh, into the river, and you start out kind of slow. So there's the, you can see the yellow, big yellow rafts. Uh, well, it turns out, we found out pretty quick, uh, it's not category three. It's categories four and five, and sometimes six, which is pretty intense. And I wasn't psyched about that. But I sat next to Taz, and I just felt like he was going to be my guy. Uh, and it, we found out much later that that was not a good choice. But um, anyway, Taz was really cool, and I was talking his ear off because of you guys taught me how to talk to people and connect with them on a deeper level. And I could tell Taz wanted to get into this deeper level. And everybody else is on a bachelor party. I was like, it was like seven in the morning and I don't want to mischaracterize the people that I went to college with, but there were people drinking Bud Lights in the truck and I was like, are you crazy? We're about to go on an eight hour rafting trip and they're like, it's a bachelor party. I'm like, no, this is, so anyways. <laughs> he's a really peaceful guy and he was talking, I asked him if there was any supernatural elements because we're in the woods of Georgia and he said, I don't know about supernatural, but there, it's a very spiritual river. And so I could tell we were going to get along. And um, he said, everybody has their own spot in the river that it's their special spot. And I thought that was really cool. The other thing about the river you should know, it's called the Chattooga River. And it's where they filmed Deliverance. <laughs> so there, one element of the tour is that they tell you all about different scenes from Deliverance that got filmed in different places and how they lost a bunch of cameras during while they were filming that movie, um, John Borman. Um, anyway, uh, I was just having a great time in the beginning. You know, they start you off kind of slow, floating down watching the tops of the trees breeze and I was just so transported to here. I mean, I really, I was like, I felt like this, you know, this was an extension of, of my JFO experience. Uh, just to be out in nature like that um, and that you do it all together and that you're all going down the same river together. Um, anyway, none of us were experienced and uh, fallouts were, were happening early uh, for our raft. Um, I'll ha I have more pictures if you want to see more pictures at some point, but my friend Josh fell out first and he's a very uh, slender man who lives in Brooklyn, New York. And we got him back on, uh, you know, we, we had been trained enough to know how to pull him back up on there. And he had his PFD and he was fine. And then my friend Isaac also lives on the Upper West Side. He fell out uh, and we got him back on. All the other rafts, I'll say this, and this is just, no one else fell out um, <laughs> except for, the bachelor the, and his like really close childhood friends were all on a raft and they wanted to fall out at some point. And so they asked their guide if he would tip them and he did. So they technically did fall out, but no one, we were the only ones that went for a swim as they call it. Um, it was pretty funny. Um, but so let's go to the next slide here. Here we are. That's me next to Taz in the back. Taz is in the red. I'm right next to him. That's my arm. And then here's Isaac and Peter, and uh, jo <laughs> this is Josh trying desperately not to fall out. He's like way down in the raft like that. Um, I think that was also part of our problem. We were all so scared that we would lean in, and you're not supposed to do that. Um, anyway, it was pretty gnarly. Uh, let's go to the next slide, I think. Yeah, so 
There we are, looking like, see, look how f much fun Josh is having there. <laughs> Peter, Peter's actually enjoying himself. And Taz is just, he, the thing about Taz was he, it was so, it was his 33rd year and he was just like, had his thing that he talked about and then all of a sudden he would say, forward two, and you're like, oh, I, I was listening to your story, but okay, I forgot. Um, anyway, uh, we got to, so when you get, there's a couple really big rap, there's two really big rapid parts and they're so dangerous that you have to go one at a time and all the other rap we had three other rafts you have to the other rafts have to pull to the side and get s secured on the side of the river before the rapid and then all the other guides will go down and have ropes tossed out into the river ready for you to grab if you should fall out um, so we get to Taz says this is the biggest rapid of the river, and it's about, I don't know, it's after lunch? Might have been before lunch, anyway. It's a, way, a few hours into the trip, and he said, this is the biggest one, don't worry, we got this, and we just did not got it. Uh, so let's go to the next slide, I'm not sure what, okay, this is just another, look at Josh in this. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's go to the next one. Yeah, okay, so we hit, we hit, we, we hit the biggest part of the rapid and it was this big drop and there's a giant rock on the left hand side there that you can't really quite see it right here but there's a giant rock and Taz just we found out later like I was so trusting of Taz and then we found out later I was talking to Squid and the gang and they were like oh no that was his fault like he steered you into that rock because he didn't mean to, but it was his fault because he was the only one that could steer. So anyway, <laughs> we just come full force at this, this rock. And I'm thinking, me and Peter haven't fallen out yet. And so we're kind of like, we're not falling out. We're going to stay in. We'll blame it on the city boys, you know. And uh, <laughs> next thing I know, we're up on the side. And Peter is just like flying over me like that scene in 300. Like he's just flying over me. And... I'm like trying desperately with Isaac is on the same side and we're trying to like stay on, but it's just impossible. So let's go to the next one here. We're all tumbling out. There we are. That's me in the water. That's Peter to my left and there got it's, it's <laughs> Josh. <laughs> He's so photogenic. Uh, this is going to be great for the pod bean. Um, that's our lunch in that bucket there. Um, <laughs> And so Taz, yeah, just Taz just kind of stood up and like was like, I'm not going in. So let's go to the next one here. Um, so there we are. Oh, that's a good picture of me there. And that's, I think those are Isaac's shoes. Let's go to the next. I was wearing bean boots, which are a horrible choice. Um, okay, so this part, so there, that's Hannah. She's one of the other guides. Uh, we didn't know this at the time, but because um, we were really exhilarated by the whole thing, and I just I did think it was kind of fun. You know, I was scared and I was frantic, but internally I was still, and I knew that I was going to be fine. Um, but we didn't, and when we got out, we thought it was all hilarious. But it turns out Hannah saved our life um, because that over there is called the manhole and eight people died there um, so let's go to the next slide yeah so here's the manhole and I'm at the end of the rope and I got the nubbin of the end of the rope in one hand 
So I've never, I mean, you never know how many near-death experiences you have because it depends on how close you get to them, but um, that's supposed to be a joke, but uh, <laughs> we were shaken. We all grabbed the rope. We were exhilarated. We were all laughing, and um, we found out later towards the end Hannah came up to us and said, I'm really glad you grabbed that rope. I don't know if you can see, but she's just like all squatted down, dug, dug in, holding four grown men. It was amazing by herself. Um, and she's not a large person at all. So here you see that squid up there. Um, she said later when we were towards the end, um, Taz fell out, by the way, at the second to last. It, it was the second most intense rapid I was, we were going through it and Taz fell out and I just, one second he was there and then the next second I look over and his head is like under the raft and I'm thinking, okay, well he knows how to deal with this. Before we had gotten, this was like the second most intense and he said, okay, the, the ropes, you got to grab the ropes. If you miss the two ropes on the left hand side, the, he, this is his exact delivery, he goes, the rope on the right hand side is called, <laughs> last chance <laughs> so people died there too and Taz, that's where Taz fell out and so we, I was just like oh no but we grabbed we grabbed we didn't even have to grab last chance but I do remember the panic in all the guides uh, faces and they all yelled 911 that's their like code for like oh this is a serious situation anyway we're all standing on the shore waiting for, Taz was fine we got him on shore he was not happy um, but Hannah came up to us and said, I'm really glad you grabbed that rope. And we said, well, thanks to you. I mean, you, you did it. You did all the hard work. And she said, no, seriously, you would have died. Right, right where you were, if you hadn't grabbed the rope, I grabbed the nubbin. So I was told it was a category three. <laughs> but we didn't die because it wasn't our time. It wasn't over yet. In the water, you know, I was mentally still, and I knew that God would guide my hand and the rope into each other, and I grabbed it. And, I mean, those are the kind of skills they don't teach you in the opening. They teach you to be calm, but they don't tell you, be still and know that I am God. He's got you. So let's... Um, Let's have a little silence here.